welcome to the Perennials Podcast Book Club. I'm Victoria Russell, and before we jump into today's chapter reading, I just want to share a little bit of news with you. I set up a separate podcast feed just for the Perennials Podcast Book Club episodes, just to keep it all organized and to separate out the book club episodes from my regular conversation interview type episodes. So... From here on out, if you want to continue on this Anne of Green Gables journey and whatever the book club podcast turns into down the road, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts by searching Perennials Podcast Book Club, or you could go straight to perennialsbookclub.podbean.com. And if you want episodes sent straight to your email inbox, you can sign up for the list just by emailing me at perennialspodcast at gmail.com or you can shoot me a message on Instagram at Perennials Podcast, and I will make sure you get episodes sent straight to you. All right, let's get into the book. You're listening to Chapter 22 of Anne of Green Gables by L.M. Montgomery. Chapter 22. Anne is invited out to tea. And what are your eyes popping out of your head about now? Asked Marilla when Anne had just come in from a run to the post office. Have you discovered another kindred spirit? Excitement hung around Anne like a garment, shone in her eyes, kindled in every feature. She had come dancing up the lane like a wind-blown sprite through the mellow sunshine and lazy shadows of the August evening. "'No, Marilla, but oh, what do you think? I'm invited to tea at the manse tomorrow afternoon. Mrs. Allen left the letter for me at the post office. Just look at it, Marilla. Miss Anne Shirley, Green Gables. That is the first time I was ever called Miss. Such a thrill as it gave me. I shall cherish it forever among my choicest treasures.' "'Mrs. Allen told me she meant to have all the members of her Sunday school class to tea in turn,' said Marilla, regarding the wonderful event very coolly. You needn't get in such a fever over it. Do learn to take things calmly, child. For Anne to take things calmly would have been to change her nature. All spirit and fire and dew as she was, the pleasures and pains of life came to her with troubled intensity. Marilla felt this and was vaguely troubled over it, realizing that the ups and downs of existence would probably bear hardly on this impulsive soul, and not sufficiently understanding that the equally great capacity for delight might more than compensate. Therefore, Marilla conceived it to be her duty to drill Anne into a tranquil uniformity of disposition as impossible and alien to her as to a dancing sunbeam in one of the brook shallows. She did not make much headway, as she sorrowfully admitted to herself. The downfall of some dear hope or plan plunged Anne into deeps of affliction. The fulfillment thereof exalted her to dizzy realms of delight. Marilla had almost begun to despair of ever fashioning this waif of the world into her model little girl of demure manners and prim deportment. Neither would she have believed that she really liked Anne much better as she was. Anne went to bed that night speechless with misery because Matthew had said the wind was round northeast and he feared it might be a rainy day tomorrow. The rustle of the poplar leaves about the house worried her. It sounded so like pattering raindrops and the full, faraway roar of the gulf to which she listened delightedly at other times, loving its strange, sonorous, haunting rhythm, now seemed like a prophecy of storm and disaster to a small maiden who particularly wanted a fine day. Anne thought that the morning would never come. But all things have an end, even nights before the day on which you are invited to take tea at the manse. The morning, in spite of Matthew's predictions, was fine, and Anne's spirits soared to their highest. "'Oh, Marilla, there is something in me today that makes me just love everybody I see!' 
she exclaimed as she washed the breakfast dishes. You don't know how good I feel. Wouldn't it be nice if it could last? I believe I could be a model child if I were just invited out to tea every day. But, oh, Marilla, it's a solemn occasion, too. I feel so anxious. What if I shouldn't behave properly? You know I never had tea at a manse before, and I'm not sure that I know all the rules of etiquette, although I've been studying the rules given in the etiquette department of the Family Herald ever since I came here. I'm so afraid I'll do something silly or forget to do something I should do. Would it be good manners to take a second helping of anything if you wanted to very much? The trouble with you, Anne, is that you're thinking too much about yourself. You should just think of Mrs. Allen and what would be nicest and most agreeable to her, said Marilla, hitting for once in her life on a very sound and pithy piece of advice. Anne instantly realized this. You are right, Marilla. I'll try not to think about myself at all. Anne evidently got through her visit without any serious breach of etiquette, for she came home through the twilight under a great, high-sprung sky gloried over with trails of saffron and rosy cloud, in a beatified state of mind, and told Marilla all about it happily, sitting on the big red sandstone slab at the kitchen door with her tired curly head in Marilla's gingham lap. A cool wind was blowing down over the lawn harvest fields from the rims of furry western hills and whistling through the poplars. One clear star hung over the orchard, and the fireflies were flitting over in Lover's Lane, in and out among the ferns and rustling boughs. Anne watched them as she talked and somehow felt that wind and stars and fireflies were all tangled up together into something unutterably sweet and enchanting. "'Oh, Marilla, I've had a most fascinating time. I feel that I have not lived in vain, and I shall always feel like that, even if I should never be invited to tea at a manse again. When I got there, Mrs. Allen met me at the door. She was dressed in the sweetest dress of pale pink organdy, with dozens of frills and elbow sleeves, and she looked just like a seraph. I really think I'd like to be a minister's wife when I grow up, Marilla. A minister mightn't mind my red hair, because he wouldn't be thinking of such worldly things. But then, of course, one would have to be naturally good, and I'll never be that, so I suppose there's no use in thinking about it. Some people are naturally good, you know, and others are not. I'm one of the others. Mrs. Lynde says I'm full of original sin. No matter how hard I try to be good, I can never make such a success of it as those who are naturally good. It's a good deal like geometry, I expect. But don't you think the trying so hard ought to count for something? Mrs. Allen is one of the naturally good people. I love her passionately. You know there are some people like Matthew and Mrs. Allen that you can love right off without any trouble, and there are others like Mrs. Lynde that you have to try very hard to love. You know you ought to love them because they know so much and are such active workers in the church, but you have to keep reminding yourself of it all the time or else you forget. There was another little girl at the manse to tea from the White Sand Sunday School. Her name was Lorette Bradley, and she was a very nice little girl. Not exactly a kindred spirit, you know, but still very nice. We had an elegant tea, and I think I kept all the rules of etiquette pretty well. After tea, Mrs. Allen played and sang, and she got Loretta and me to sing, too. Mrs. Allen says I have a good voice, and she says I must sing in the Sunday school choir after this. You can't think how I was thrilled at the mere thought. I've longed so to sing in the Sunday school choir, as Diana does, but I feared it was an honor I could never aspire to. Loretta had to go home early because there's a big concert in the White Sands Hotel tonight, and her sister is to recite at it. Loretta says that the Americans at the hotel give a concert every fortnight in aid of the Charlottetown Hospital, and they ask lots of the White Sands people to recite. Loretta said she expected to be asked herself some day. I just gazed at her in awe. After she had gone, Mrs. Allen and I had a heart-to-heart -heart talk. I told her everything, about Mrs. Thomas and the twins and Katie Maurice and Violetta and coming to Green Gables and my troubles over geometry. And would you believe it, Marilla? Mrs. Allen told me she was a dunce at geometry, too. You don't know how that encouraged me. 
Mrs. Lynde came to the manse just before I left, and what do you think, Marilla? The trustees have hired a new teacher, and it's a lady. Her name is Miss Muriel Stacy. Isn't that a romantic name? Mrs. Lynde says that they've never had a female teacher in Avonlea before, and she thinks it is a dangerous innovation. But I think it will be splendid to have a lady teacher, and I really don't see how I'm going to live through the two weeks before school begins. I'm so impatient to see her. So, front and center in this chapter, we have Anne's excitement and anxiety, and we have Marilla's fear. Anne is so excited about getting invited out to tea with her favorite person of the moment in Avonlea, Mrs. Allen. And Marilla is just watching her trembling with excitement. And she just looks at her like, oh, this girl is going to get destroyed by the world, basically. Like, these high highs and these low lows can't be good for her. I, I have to get her to calm down and stay even keeled. And, you know, this part reminds me so much of a really great conversation between Brene Brown and Oprah Winfrey for Super Soul Sunday from probably about seven years ago now. I highly recommend going to YouTube and typing in Dr. Brene Brown on joy. It's terrifying. In this interview, Brene Brown tells Oprah that from all of her years of research as a social worker who has researched shame and vulnerability and difficult emotions, she thinks the scariest, most terrifying emotion for humans to experience is actually joy. And she says that when we lose our tolerance for vulnerability, joy becomes foreboding. And we try to dress rehearse tragedy so that we can beat vulnerability to the punch. Because as soon as you feel that joy, you have something to lose. And we've seen how Marilla's heart has been hardened over the years and how this she's got her guard up and this wall up like she is definitely someone who has lost her tolerance for vulnerability and here is this little girl who is just so open to the world and all of the joy and all of the heartache and she wants to protect her this is something that I think we see a lot particularly with like parents or caregivers who want to protect this little person that they actually love very deeply and want to never experience hurt and when that child or that person is different and therefore seems more vulnerable to the world sometimes it feels like it would be easier to change that little child or that person because you can't change the world <laughs> but as you know Montgomery writes in the book like Marilla actually doesn't even realize that she prefers Anne the way that she is and Anne's ability to feel heartache is commensurate to her ability to feel joy and awe and the thing that Anne really has that Brene Brown talks about as an antidote to this fear is gratitude so and Anne is human so she does dip into anxiety she really does like she is prepared for everything to go wrong but she also when things do go wrong we've seen in the past she is able to kind of like take that in and and still like learn from it and have hope and when she does experience something going really well and making her really happy she has so much gratitude and that's what Brene Brown talks about as being a really important practice 
not just an attitude, but like a practice we can bring to our lives so that we can withstand the, the terror that we feel in the face of joy. And it's funny because later on, Anne talks about how some people are naturally good and some people aren't and she isn't. And of course, like if you're reading this book and you love her, you can go like, Anne, you are so good, you know, like truly and deeply, not just, you know, I think what she's referring to as good maybe means like obedient, well-mannered, you know, someone who knows all the right etiquette. Um, and even maybe someone who doesn't lose her temper or whatever, like she's so aware, she's aware of her own shortcomings or flaws or, or even just the ways that she's different. And it's interesting that A, she doesn't see herself as naturally good, which she is, but B, she also sees that as like some people are born with it and some people aren't. And it's interesting because Brene Brown talks about in that interview how like gratitude is a practice. It's not just that there are people who are grateful and people who aren't. But you can actually grow that capacity by practicing it in your life. And so similarly, it, I mean, it is, I'm certainly someone whose mind goes towards seeing my own shortcomings and flaws and thinking, I'm, oh, I'm not naturally good. I'm not naturally grateful, whatever it may be. And thinking, well, you know, some people are, I'm not, that's just how it is. Um, but it kind of comes back to that your mindset. Do you believe that you can grow or do you believe that everything about you is fixed? Do you believe that everyone has things that they're really good at, average at, not so good at, and we can all, those things are are in flux and that's okay? So I'm kind of keeping Brene Brown's words in my head with me as I'm reading this chapter. And I'm also really grateful for people like Mrs. Allen and like Brene Brown who are able to share their own humanity and shortcomings um, or just humanness with us. Like, you know, Anne is so grateful when Mrs. Allen tells her that she was bad at geometry too. And Brene Brown in that interview shares with Oprah, you know, how she too falls into, um, she calls it foreboding joy, like, or dress rehearsing tragedy and it's encouraging for Anne to hear that Mrs. Allen was good, was bad at geometry. It's encouraging for someone like me to hear Brene Brown say, you know, I dress for her tragedy too, because it takes these figures that we might have in our minds as like these patron saints of something we admire. And it reminds us that they're human, just like we are. And so even though we see all the shiny parts of people on the outside, when they can share with us the messier parts, then we can go, oh, okay they're a human, I'm a human, maybe if they were able to work through it or they're able to share these other gifts, then I can work through things and I can share gifts. And, you know, um, it's, it is very encouraging and I think more helpful sometimes to hear the people we admire share um, what they wrestle with than the things that they're just naturally good at. So those are all the things on my mind in this chapter. Thank you so much for listening. Um, like I said, in the for the for the next um, episode for chapter twenty three, um, the episode won't be in the normal perennials podcast feed. It will be in the perennials podcast book club feed. So feel free to reach out to me at perennialspodcast at gmail or on Instagram at perennialspodcast if you want to make sure you sign up for a mailing list. Make sure you don't miss an episode. I'm Victoria Russell. Thank you so much for joining me. And I will see you over at 
perennialsbookclub.podbean.com for chapter 23 of Anne of Green Gables by L.M. Montgomery. Take care and let's all take a moment today to just think about something we're super grateful for. I'll start. I'm very, very grateful for you and for Anne. Thank you.